Hi, I'm Ryan McClure. And I'm Justin Zyduck. And welcome to Indefensible Inc., the podcast where we take a closer look at some notoriously and allegedly terrible comics and comic runs. <clears throat> so today we'll, we'll be discussing a 1994 crossover event, uh, Spawn Batman, published by Image Comics and DC Comics. And if you... If my voice sounds a little gross tonight, I'm getting over a cold, so apologies for that. If my voice sounds a little wisconsin it sounds like that every time. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so you, for... You don't have to apologize for that. <laughs> oh, but I do. Uh, so, for Spawn Batman, there's not too much expla- uh, explanatory background needed, I don't think. Um, if you listen to our episode on the kingdom, and we're put off by my long, decursive tangents about the minutiae of DC Comics continuity circa 1998... This should probably be a little leaner. Um, everybody knows who Batman is, and if you're listening to a podcast about comics, you probably are at least basically familiar with Spawn, um, at least as familiar as you would need to be to understand the story. Um, Spawn and his creator, Todd McFarlane, who uh, draws this, uh, also came up on our episode on the Spider-Man story, Torment, and you can hear more about the founding of Image Comics in our episode on Rob Liefeld's Youngblood. I sort of like at this point how we have we have like references to back episodes where it's like yeah, see <laughs> episode five smiling Stan. Yeah, we got our own uh, our own narration boxes. Yeah. Um, also of note, at this moment in comics history, Spawn was probably one of, if not the best-selling comic in the country. Mm-hmm. So it was right at the peak of Spawn mania. Yeah, and you can like, and the book is called like Spawn Batman, not Batman Spawn, and I think that is somewhat intentional. Even on the cover, there's like the drop cap on the S, so I think that Spawn one ups him from a logo type uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, the thing that this book is probably most notable for is being a Batman project that Frank Miller wrote. Um, at the time that this book came out, Miller had written the almost universally acclaimed Batman The Dark Knight Returns and Batman Year One. Um, Later on, he would write sequels to The Dark Knight Returns and a project that remains unfinished called All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder, which are less universally acclaimed and that we will probably get to eventually. Uh, So interestingly, the front inside cover reads, Spawn vs. Batman is a companion piece to DC Comics' The Dark Knight Returns. It does not represent current DC continuity. Um, Kind of a bold claim. I think companion piece is a little strong given the uh, quality of this uh, project. But the the cover by McFarlane is a very sort of deliberately doing an homage to Dark Knight Returns with the heroes jumping from left to right across a lightning bolt in a night sky thing. Um, If you think about the timeline, like Dark Knight Returns was only like eight years old at this point. And like I remember, um, you know... In current terms, that's like 2011. Like the New 52 is as old as this was at that point. Uh, the first mm-hmm. Captain America movie was that old. Like I remember being a kid, and like 1986 was within my lifetime, but it was still like this ancient, like revered text. Yeah, yeah, and it was, I, if I recall correctly, w- between that and Year One, it was the last time Frank Miller had written anything Batman related. Mm-hmm. So it was. It was uh, pretty eventful just for that reason. Um, it is also notable that at the time, uh, that I think another 
aspect of that little note about DC continuity is that Bruce Wayne wasn't Batman in the mainline Batman titles. Uh, he was recovering from a broken spine and had been replaced by a former assassin. <laughs> so there was a lot going on. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, I suppose uh, Frank Miller probably didn't want to have to dance around whatever nonsense Batman was up to at the time. Um, the one other thing to note is you alluded earlier to the fact that it's titled Spawn Batman. There was actually another crossover that was Batman Spawn, but that one was relatively low profile. There were no major names working on it, and uh, I read it at the time but can't remember a single thing about it to this day <laughs> probably a not a great sign yeah <laughs> but yeah so uh frank miller um was actually a big booster of spawn because it was a high profile creator owned book uh, miller was kind of in a anti big two marvel dc um mood at this time and maybe that shows through in some elements here i remember he wrote a uh so I wasn't like a big Spawn reader, but I had the first trade paperback because I was curious as to what the deal was. And um, he wrote an introdu- uh, the introduction was actually written by Frank Miller. And the sentiment was, I read Spawn because it pisses people off. And then goes in about how crappy Marvel and DC have historically created its their uh, creative talent, which, to be fair, is not, unf- not unfair of him to say. Mm-hmm. But um, I just remember like the introduction being like, yeah, Spawn is good and all, but like mostly I support it because... I dislike Marvel and DC. <laughs> mm-hmm. So good job on not being either of those things. Uh, so the issue or the, the comic itself starts off with atmosphere, the moon over Gotham city, your classic dingy, grubby abandoned warehouse down by the docks. You see Batman's eyes and his silhouette. And we get some narration here. Get a cold night, a dark night, an I-G-H-T, uh, an unforgiving wind, a merciless city, Gotham. At the waterfront, Gotham's distant roar, the lapping of briny waves against rotted wooden pilings, startled curses, muffled gunshots, horrid pounding, shrieks of pain, dull moans, near silence. Inside a warehouse, salty smells of blood and sweat, a silent shadow of a man, a cold night, a dark night, K-N-I-G-H-T. So so that gives you a little flavor. Right. <laughs> um, I have to say, I we've read some other comics with this hard-boiled style narration. And I don't know what you think about it, but I actually think Frank Miller pulls it off. Yeah. Um, so one thing that uh, Alan Moore has complained about sometimes is that he accuses comic writers of never reading anything but comics. I think that Frank Miller actually has written like, or has read actual, like, you know, pulp novels and that kind of hard boiled detective story. Yeah. So I think like it's, it's like more authentic. Whereas like a lot of people who are, who do that have pretty much just read other Frank Miller comics and are trying to like Im- imitate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very, you know, pulpy and in, in places, especially later it gets ridiculous, but like, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's fun. I do like yeah. it. So Batman is stalking around along this warehouse. He appears to have been shot or something because he's got um, blood. And as the narration tells us, surging from heart to shoulder and streaming hotly down his arm, not a moment spent acknowledging the pain, not a, move, not a movement wasted. 
Uh, there's sort of an unusual art style on Batman, especially in the beginning, where his head is almost like two-dimensional. He's like a black silhouette, but with white eyes and teeth, which I guess is sort of inspired by like Miller's art on Dark Knight Returns, I think. Um, McFarlane did actually draw Batman Year Two, or at least parts of it, and it wasn't. It was a lot more like other Bat- '80s Batman artists, and not so Frank Millery. But I assume that working with Frank Miller, you want to step up your Frank Miller game, I guess. Yeah, and I also have to say that this this version of Angry Batman with his grimace is actually pretty adorable. <laughs> yeah, you you could see this on. Some kind of Funko Pop like figurine. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the really big angry eyes Batman. And, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. I I would very much like a a, a Batman plushie <laughs> inspired by this. Yeah. Uh, so we see there's a lot of uh, criminal goons lying around the warehouse, unconscious, and we get some more sort of Clint Eastwoody tough guy talk. He goes, "Punks, you're lucky I went easy on you." So as we go on, you're going to have to get used to. Uh, Batman trying really pretty desperately to convince you how hardcore he is in this book. Yeah, and also, despite being a very smart man, he pretty much sticks to speaking in, like, three-word phrases through the entire story. Yeah, not a not a movement wasted, as the, as the narration goes. Mm-hmm. So the idea seems to be that Batman has been tipped off about some um, some failed dictatorship has been liquidating its weapons to Gotham City street gangs. Um, there's the standard guns and explosives, but there's also more esoteric armaments, like what's referred to as battle gloves, which are sort of like cybernetic armored gauntlets. Then suddenly, a robot attacks. Uh, it's kind of vaguely bipedal, but so it has like you know sort of arms and legs, but not really a head, sort of like a big chest. Um, it does have, however, some kind of a gun turret extending from what on a human form would be its crotch. And if you look at page five, if you're reading along at home, page five in particular definitely looks like it has a menacing boner pointed at Batman. Yeah, yeah, it's the first of several phallic images throughout <laughs> yes. the, the story. Um, so Batman is no match for this thing's power, uh, but he does have these gloves, so he puts them on. And he's sort of, the narration is going, no time to study them, just put them on and pray the Soviet slave who made them knew what he was doing. So it is, it is 1994, so that's relevant. Um, Fortunately, the Soviet slave did know what he was doing because Batman gets a huge power boost and is able to take on the robot. Um, There's kind of a weird name check here where he says, no hesitation, since year one, Batman has known when there is no defense, attack. So I like, the, I like the fact that Batman almost sort of thinks his, his own life in, like, story arcs. Like, oh, yeah, that happened during year one. Was my... Was it, oh, yeah, I remember Nightfall when I got my back broken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so Batman smashes some kind of, like, a visor or hood on the robot, and it reveals that the robot is actually a cyborg. There is a human head and only a head inside, and it seems confused. It goes, I don't know where I am. I can't feel my arms. The robot part blows up, but Batman salvages the human head, even though the human head dies. Um, so I, maybe you have thoughts on this, but I sort of fail to see what the human head is contributing in this in this cyborg. Because like, mm-hmm. like, the head is confused. It's like, where am I? Where are my arms? Where are my legs? Um, we yeah. find out later that these are like 
alcoholic homeless people. So it, I wouldn't expect like the nervous system to be amazing. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I can assume is that the mad scientist gets some kind of tax break for like, <laughs> using humans in some way. But that's, yeah, that's why that's, that's what all the good villains do. <laughs> Otherwise, there's no no good reason for this to use humans. After this scene, we get a couple of um, sort of Dark Knight Returns-style panels of a television broadcast. And actually, early Spawn issues sort of swipe that device. Um, if you remember Dark Knight Returns, that's, you know, you got like the like a TV panel and then like text on the side saying what the newsreader is mm-hmm. saying. Um, actually, I think that the... I think I remember the this specific news anchor from an early issue of spawn but i did not double check looks familiar yeah so it turns out that a humanitarian named dr margaret love is accepting an award um her methods apparently include self-actualization empowerment and attitude adjustment at the risk of spoiling this uh, she's clearly evil she has uh, wraparound shades she seems to be young but have white hair which is either your evil or one of the x-men um, she has sinister eyebrows. I don't think in the story it's supposed to, you're supposed to be surprised when she turns out to be actually evil. But her last name is Love. Well, that's see. Sometimes writers use a device called irony. Oh, it's okay. Okay. Miller's working on another level that you and I struggle to keep up with, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I also I did I did notice though that she's getting something called the Lambeer Prize for Humanitarian Achievement. Which I don't know if you were a basketball fan in the eighties or nineties. Or ever. <laughs> or ever. But there was a notoriously dirty player named Bill Lambeer who huh. uh I think is referenced there. I was told there would be no sports trivia on, on my <laughs> comics and her podcast. <laughs> that's yeah, oh, that's man. a whole nother world of nerddom that ne'er shall shall meet this one uh so we cut back to the bat cave batman has brought the head back to investigate it and he uses the dental records which i thought was a clever detective bit of business um to determine that it's the head of a homeless man from new york city so that gives him like his next lead on where to check this out um batman seems very self-conscious in this uh segment um alfred offers him some tea Batman just tells him to patch up his shoulder because the blood's getting in the way. Um, Alfred tells him to take the mask off, and Batman says, sometimes I'm more comfortable with the mask on. Uh, Alfred tells him the tea is supposed to prevent nightmares, but Batman says he doesn't get nightmares. I give them. Um, Alfred is not really impressed by this. He's, you know, keeping up his deadpan Alfred thing, so I don't really see what Batman is doing here, if he's practicing, if he's... The question that I have is... Do you think that Frank Miller is making fun of Batman or is he making fun of his own like terse tough guy Batman that he did in Dark Knight Returns in year 1? Hmm. Um I don't know. I mean it seems like uh, Alfred Alfred's response is is pretty funny like he's <laughs> yeah, like sir you're among friends you don't have to impress or something like that. Yeah. And uh I mean, it seems like he has a little bit of a sense of humor. Um, he could be poking fun or like satirizing both Batman and his own 
version of Batman. But yeah, I just I feel like Batman seems like sort of buffoonish in this, and I wonder if this was like mm-hmm. I'm gonna knock Batman back that you know down a peg or two. But as we'll see, Spawn doesn't necessarily come out looking that much <laughs> that much more sensible. Right. Right. Um, so Batman takes off for New York and starts eavesdropping on the homeless community looking for more leads. Um, we learn from another news report that Dr. Love's group, Heal the World, is also working with the homeless. So you probably see where this is going. Uh, Batman soon starting uh, starts to hear numerous stories about someone in the homeless community named Al, a bum possessed with magic powers. Um, and the caption says, nonsense. Nonsense, he thinks. Um, so Al is Al Simmons, which is Spawn's real name. Um, but this also plays into the trope that we've seen before of Batman not seeming to believe in magic and the supernatural, even though, like, he clearly has every reason to. Mm-hmm. You live in the DC universe. I mean, I guess this isn't technically in the continuity or whatever, but, like, Batman has seen some stuff. It's yeah. it's It's less plausible that magic wouldn't exist and everything that he's seen is some kind of elaborate ruse. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I think he's again doing the, uh, the whole Scully reset thing yeah. where it's like, despite what he's just seen in the, in the most recent issue, it's like back to, to square right. one. But I guess starting, starting from a point of, of not believing is a good kind of intellectual ground i guess i guess and i suppose like even if you live in like a world where unusual stuff happens like one of the homeless guys here has magic powers it may be something to be deservedly skeptical about so in a nearby alley we get quote a couple of sick jerks out for what sick jerks call a good time they're dousing a homeless man in gasoline and they throw a match on him but the fire actually doubles back and attacks them this is the work of spawn and his magic brood in the depths of hell the uh, so Spawn's powers are kind of vague, like he can do magic stuff, and that's all you need to know for the for the purposes of of this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so the sick jerks shoot him, but he's Spawn, and so um, instead of bleeding blood, he bleeds this kind of green ooze. And as we mentioned in our coverage of Warriors of Plasma in an earlier episode, the early nineties were all about green ooze. You want more of it, just seeping out wherever you can so spawn was mm-hmm. spawn was prepared to give that to you mm-hmm. yeah finally something in this story to appeal to 12 year old boy. <laughs> right <laughs> after all that like boring adult stuff about like cyborgs and stuff and battle gloves yeah right so uh spine lo- uh, spawn lights these dudes on fire and batman sees what he believes is murder and Frankly, I guess it is. So um, Batman attacks him and the narration starts to switch to direct first person talking about how you don't feel bad taking cheap shots at murderers and how Batman's kidney shot shouldn't do permanent damage. But after six months in the hospital, he the spawn will be able to face a judge. So I don't know if it's a continuity error here, but spawn is wearing his mask before and after this big splash panel of Batman attacking him. So I don't know if like one of Spawn's canonical weaknesses is that like if you hit him in the kidney, he drops his magical mask, <laughs> and like mm-hmm. if you, if you ever need to if you ever need to exploit something of Spawn, hit him in the kidney, and yeah. his mask drops. 
That's... Well, it's because when his mother was bathing him in the river sticks, she grabbed him by the <laughs> kidney. Yes. <laughs> or something. Something like that. Uh, so they start to fight, and Batman notices that Spawn is inhumanly tough. Um, the tough guy talk begins. Spawn says he's not in the mood. You know, the standard brush-off stuff, doesn't have time for this. Batman says, got time for this, punk? So they fight some more. Spawn's still really hard to hurt. But Batman notices that he seems to need to breathe. So Batman gets the idea to use gas pellets on him. And so, you know, he unleashes a bunch of stuff from his utility belt. More back and forth, like, had enough in your dreams. And then it's punching. Spawn, as the captions tell us, beats the crap out of Batman. Uh, Batman realizes that he's overpowered and slinks away, covering his tracks with more gas bombs. More enjoyable trash talk. I'm just going to transcribe all their trash talk through this mm-hmm. episode. Uh, and don't, you know, Spawn says, and don't you come back here. You got your turf and I got mine. Batman says, I'll be back all right, you little punk. Count your blessings and I let you off so easily. So I don't know if they're... And, you know, it goes on like this for, throughout the whole issue. I don't know if they're supposed to be, like, we're supposed to think that they're being childish or if they are supposed to be legitimately two macho alpha dogs vying for territory. Yeah, it's it's hard to kind of read the tone at point. I do think it is meant to be a little bit over the top. Yeah. Um, it's It's got to be at least partly intentional. Yeah, it's sort of the trick with Frank Miller is you're not really sure... You know, because he's always sort of like I feel like he's always sort of winking at you, but sometimes he's more serious mm-hmm. than other times. But um, I was gonna, I'm going to sort of make a blanket assumption that everything is supposed to be a little winky, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so Spawn pukes because of the gas. Batman is correct that he needs to breathe apparently, so the gas really takes a lot out of him. Um, Batman basically collapses in an alley and tries sets about trying to pop his shoulder back into place, and you know calms breathing down in his heartbeat and that sort of thing. And in this scene, he's mostly focused um, on the fact that he's been humiliated because he senses that Spawn was holding back. Um, but now that he's now that Spawn is not distracted by their playground banter, he is free to break into the humanitarian organization and see what's going on for himself. Because he's also chasing the same lead about the homeless people. Another robot attacks Spawn that has an enormous gun. Spawn disarms it, um, grabs the gun, and blasts the robot. If you're wondering why does Spawn, who has all these magical green glowing powers, bother using a gun, uh, it brings up what I think is sort of the one interesting thing about Spawn is that initially, um, and I don't know if it, I don't know if this changes over time, but initially he had like a non-renewable limit on his power. Like there was like a magic meter that would show up, and like everything that he does with his magic depletes the meter, like in a video game or something. So it like behooves him to use his power sparingly and use guns or chains or whatever whenever he can. Yeah, it is a pretty interesting concept. I actually went in and read some of the Spawn wiki to see what actually <laughs> happens when mm-hmm. he uh, runs out of powers. But apparently all I, all I took away was he ran out when Judas stabbed him in the heart. Like the biblical Judas and, the, and his meter went to zero. <laughs> wow. So. I don't remember that part of Jesus Christ Superstar, but. It's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Spawn uh, defeats this robot, and another homeless person's head pops out of the robot. Um, this is apparently a guy knows a guy that Spawn actually knows himself personally as Chuck, but Chuck's head is similarly confused about where am I? Can't feel my arms and legs or and what have you. 
um, suddenly a video recording is triggered and we see Dr. Love addressing the homeless uh, population saying that um, the final stage of their rehabilitation is ready. So if we hadn't figured it out already, we know that Dr. Love is behind turning homeless people into cyborgs. Um, Spawn remembers her from when he was alive and acting as a government um, soldier, secret agent guy, and she was, needless to say, not a humanitarian at that time. Spawn is pretty angry, and he blows up the facility. That takes us um, halfway through our event-filled comic, and um, I will turn it over to you. Okay, so Batman elsewhere is fixing himself up and sees an odd sight, the bat signal being projected in the New York sky. Uh, So it's actually Dr. Love shining the signal. And so Batman uh, shows up. She tells Batman she's holding a fundraiser on a cruise ship that night and that Spawn blew up her rescue mission. So now she's afraid that he's going to attack the ship, thus uh, asking for Batman to protect it which he agrees to do. Yeah, and Batman has the hots for this lady. So the caption says she had, she gives a, a plea for help from an exquisite angel of mercy. His head almost spins looking at her, listening to her. Were he not what he is, he would f- call this feeling desire. But he is what he is. So he's not going to act mm-hmm. on it because 90s Batman is kind of like a monk who has, you know, no time for Dr. Love, Dr. Jones. But mm-hmm. um, clearly his attraction to her is binding him, uh, blinding him to the fact that she's obviously the villain. Again, wearing the, the wraparound shades. It's night. Mm-hmm. Who are you trying to fool? <laughs> Dr. Love. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, he, if we uh, take into account the animated series, he's already run into one humanitarian who was getting an award and turned out to be evil in the Mr. Freeze episode. Oh, uh, yes. So, yeah. I like to think that the animated series is in can- uh, in canon- canonical, or Batman. it's like a show within the ser- within the world, yeah, of the show that Batman watches. But I may be wrong about that. <laughs> uh, so Spawn is still puking up the nerve gas that Batman dosed him with. He's hanging out in the alley as Spawn is wont to do, talking with some of his homeless friends. Then Batman leaps down from the sky. We get a giant dramatic splash page of Batman. Uh, But this time he's rocking the Soviet battle gloves. So he comes in and starts beating the crap out of Spawn. And we get some narration. The power of the gloves streams through Batman. He can laugh at wounds that just hours ago left him helpless. And most delightful of all, he faces an opponent who can take a world of punishment. No need for the usual restraints. Uh, it should also be noted that he's smiling while he's administering this beating. Yeah, this is full, I'm a barely holding it together psycho Batman. Yeah, so he's taking maybe a little bit too much <laughs> pleasure in this. Uh, uh, but also, it's it's kind of, it seems like another homage to the dark knight returns and and then he's using this powered armor to beat up a superhuman foe that he usually wouldn't be able to stand toe-to-toe with like uh like he does with superman in in that series Hmm. 
it is sort of weird that he gets all like like in Dark Knight Returns he got like the whole armor and stuff. Here he's got like the glove, but it's I don't want to like second guess comic book science. Mm. I'm sorry, but but yeah, but it seems it's weird that like so when he says that he can laugh at wounds is like does the glove like heal him in some way? Yeah, yeah, that's that's questionable. Um <laughs> uh, it's it's comic book magic basically. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll leave it at that. But uh so Spawn and Batman continue to fight and Spawn is actually in this case using his special forces training to try to preserve his magic mm-hmm. so it gets down and dirty. If you are familiar with the fight scene in the movie They Live, <laughs> uh, this is pretty much the superhero version of that. Yeah. Um, which may or may not be intriguing, depending on your, <laughs> your mileage with those kinds of things. I do enjoy They Live. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's a classic. There's more trash talking here, and I won't belabor it too much. Um, Batman sort of says like the you know, the standard like stupid fighter, sloppy fighter, no discipline, stupid fighter, kind of like he's trying to scold a dog, you know, <laughs> you know bad dog, sloppy fighter, no discipline. Um, but mm-hmm. Spawn, he uh, Frank Miller is writing him with a very seemingly specific and unusual speech pattern where he says, and it's, I won't do everything, but Spawn will say something short. Then restate that slightly longer, and then sometimes add a third thing. So he says, like, idiot, you're an idiot, I'll tear you apart, or break you in half, I'll break you in half, or talking trash, you're talking trash, it won't help you. That's really hmm. interesting, and I want, like, it, se- it seems deliberate, and I just wonder if, does, from your recollection of Spawn, is that something that Spawn does? Um, no, I think that that might just be a Frank Miller ism. <laughs> it's a very, it's a, it's a very like a uh, noticeable tick that I think is, is sort of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, uh, nothing, nothing much more than like three words at a time. Just right. Reminds me of like the, uh, 16 bit fighting games or like, yeah, <laughs> back in the day where they could only use short sound clips and. And they just have, you know, tough guy talk like that. Mm. But yeah, on the subject of talk, guy, a tough guy talk, the fight ends with them basically both arguing which one of them is the one who is finished. You're finished. No, you're the one who is finished. <laughs> uh, so at that point, more cyborgs appear and try to kill both Batman and Spawn, who are already wounded. And the narration informs us that Dr. Love sent them in order to, quote, tie up any loose ends. Batman gets mortally wounded by a cyborg. Spawn destroys it with magic. Uh, But Batman's heart has already stopped. So Spawn expends some of his hell magic to heal Batman. And at the same moment that he's doing this, he sort of creates a psychic connection for him and Batman to communicate. Uh, So then we get more tough guy banter in Batman's mind this time. And Spawn uses this opportunity to show him that Dr. Love is actually a war criminal under an assumed identity. Yeah. So that um, moves the plot along. But one thing that I think is funny about this is that Batman is super ungrateful. (laughs) <laughs> like mm-hmm. so like it's it's established that like he is 
dead basically and mm-hmm. spawn saves his life and he's still like calling him a punk and he calls him one thing that he keeps calling him is like a twit mm-hmm. which is not like the macho insult that i would have expected the frank miller batman to use i think about like a kind of like a nervous british person maybe yeah not it's not, no, you can't say twit and like a clipped tough guy growl you know yeah, the 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 vowels aren't aren't right or something. Yeah, so Batman is uh, he's alive again, but he's he's grouchy. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, on the ship where the fundraiser is being held, Doctor Love has drugged the drinks to make people suggestible, and it's at this point that she starts talking about her grand philosophy and supervillain supervillain plan. Um, so it's. Your basic, she decides that the problem with the world is humanity because they start wars and pollute the environment and all that. So her plan is to wipe them all out and start over, start a new human race again. So she's going to launch a bunch of nukes. Yes. The uh, the, the spy who loved me uh, special, I believe. Yeah. So uh, after that, completely original villain villainous plot is launched batman and spawn make it to the ship and fight their way past what seems like it seems like they really just fight one cyborg to get to her just that's a little underwhelming in most Um, in most cases one cyborg is is all all you need mm -hmm. i guess yeah um but yeah they just they get past the defenders really quickly and get to Dr. Love. Spawn knocks over some debris, which end up skewering and killing Dr. Love. However, with her last dying act, she presses a button that launches a nuke towards New York. And so at this point, Spawn uses his teleportation abilities to teleport himself and Batman onto the side of the flying nuke. And... Batman, while they're on this missile, defuses it in mid-flight. Um, it sails harmlessly into the sea. Disaster averted. It's not. Yeah, it's not a. It's not a. It's 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 funny how like abrupt this is. Like we spend so much time on Batman and Spawn fighting, and it's like mm-hmm. what what is the actual like what is the actual villain thing? It's like oh, let's disarm this nuke in like a couple of panels and. Yeah, it's usually like the the first act of a of a superhero crossover is like the battle between the heroes where they're where they don't know each other, and then it's like they move on to an actual story. Yeah, but yeah, this this one's pretty much the actual story is like, oh yeah, I guess we should have them fight, <laughs> team up to fight a villain or something. Yep. Um. Yeah. So they it's dispatch with really quickly uh batman and spawn kind of have their opportunity afterwards to to reflect and batman says to spawn your methods are revolting your disrespect for human life is detestable your lack of discipline is nothing short of embarrassing and at this point spawn's got to be thinking he's got to be expecting something like but damn it, you get results. Right. But <laughs> instead, Batman just says, we'll meet again. 
Yeah, and there's 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 a hint that like he's gonna track spawn. Like he's like, I don't have the power to do it now, but I'll get it. So mm-hmm. setting up the the sequel that either does or does not follow up on this. I'm not. I I, I haven't read it, and you, and you don't you can't remember it. So. Yeah, yeah, it was not related in any way. It was, it was just like I it might have even involved the other uh, Batman at the time, but. Hmm. Um, but anyway, so I don't think there was any follow up on that. Uh, so Spawn hears all these things Batman's uh, accusing him of, and you know goes into you know we just saved all these lives. What do you say we just bury the hatchet? And Batman turns around, says bury this, and flings a batarang at him. Uh, so the final two panels are Batman chucking those batarangs and Spawn uh, with a batarang sticking out of the center of his face, green goop flowing down. Yeah, and Spawn is like, he's got kind of a smile on his face, like, like I think we're going to be friends now. <laughs> Batman, you old son of a gun. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because it's like, sp- like, I... Spawn really want. I think that Spawn actually does want to be Batman's friend. After having yeah. reached out to him through the psychic link, he mentioned something about like, "Oh, you, you know, you should you should get help because you're you know obsessed and stuff." So like, I think that like Spawn is trying to is trying to reach out and like be like a friend, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, but a super friend, if you will, <laughs> if, if if I will. But yeah, Batman's not having any of it. Yep. So uh, we are. We are forever denied more Spawn and Batman team em up adventures. Um, and oh, one small note about the head wound <laughs> is at the time in the Spawn comic books, I think the there was a storyline that came out before this issue because I believe this shipped late, which was a problem with most image books, but um. Spawn had his face stitched up with a shoelace for a number of issues. And people were wondering what it was, what had caused it, but because it was out of sequence, um, then it was later revealed to be this. And then they went ahead and and retconned that (laughs) later for some other reason. Um, So yeah, that's the origin of shoelace spawn i think i i think i actually remember seeing that you know in like wizard or something but mm-hmm. but that's 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 funny that that i like the i do respect like the stealth like actually the batman is in continuity with in, in real continuity with spawn yeah yeah that was i didn't i didn't learn about that uh shoelace thing until just recently so it's is, I think the one the one thing that that reminds me of is that when uh, Warren Ellis wanted to get rid of what was it Stormwatch to launch the Authority, he did like a Stormwatch slash Aliens like the movie Aliens crossover, and mm-hmm. he used that to kill off all the characters that he didn't want to use in the Authority, which I think huh. is like, that's sort of funny because he's always like, well, you know, like nobody ever these like intercompany crossovers because they're not in continuity, never have any like permanent repercussions so i think he like took that excuse to actually kill people off and then i suppose was not a big authority reader but i'm sure you can just say like yeah they were killed by aliens 
which are legally <laughs> you are legally allowed to say. Hmm. Okay. But yeah, that's cool. But not, I guess, what we're what we're talking about today. On the subject of the actual book that we read today, um, so we talked a little bit about this, but like, my my big question is like, is is Batman supposed to be like an oaf here, or is he really just a a cool tough guy who's a little outclassed? And I almost kind of wonder if like, because Frank Miller is like sort of pro Spawn, mm-hmm. a lot of the issue does seem to be like. Spawn, you know, one-upping him. He's taking it easy on him. He saves Batman's life. I'm yeah. not totally sure to what degree, like, Spawn could not have taken care of this on his own. I don't know. I, I think it feels to me, just from having read, I mean, The Dark Knight Returns, and then um, knowing kind of the trajectory of Frank Miller's career, where let's just leave it somewhat apolitical and say he becomes crotchety like yeah an angry old man but he uh it just seems to be like he kind of admires the like angry clint eastwood type batman and this is an opportunity to to maybe even play that up more because it's out of dc continuity Mm -hmm. um and so he's kind of realizing batman as like this borderline psycho i think is how he described him in the in the past and and kind of pushing that as far as he can mm-hmm. uh, yeah I, I do i do think he's having a, like a lot of fun um with us and like on like, honestly it's so, like we've been uh a little you know our usual joking selves <laughs> but i actually this is, i mean this is a dumb comic but i thought it was fun you know yeah yeah i was actually gonna say uh i think this is maybe the most just like you said fun so far um, yeah it's not it's not very pretend you know it's not pretentious or anything it's mm-hmm. you want to see and like i you know i i am i am still in the camp of like i enjoy todd mcfarland's art i will probably till the yeah. you know, the day that i die so i'm like he draws you know spawn and batman and they fight and there's cyborgs and there's a lady with wrapper own shades this is all mm-hmm. <laughs> these are all fun things for him to draw yeah yeah and it's um, I mean, I know people have their different ideal versions of Batman, like this one isn't very sympathetic or compassionate or anything, um, but I, I kind of think there's room for, I, I sort of like this this a-hole version of Batman, <laughs> yes. um, and uh, maybe this is Batman if, if uh, Robin and the rest of the Bat family don't lighten him up, he just turns into this guy, so. Yeah. But but he is he is as you pointed out, absolutely adorable, <laughs> absolutely adorable, <laughs> with the big eyes. And there was there was that one panel where he's patching himself up, and he's got yep. just like like the cartoon like X shaped thing of tape over his over his forehead. Mm-hmm. If you're if if a plushy or Funko uh, manufacturer is out there listening to this, um, I will I will buy your finest Spawn Batman version of Batman. With battle gloves, yes, with battle gloves. I might also be tempted to, to buy a plushie of Spawn with like the battering sticking out of his head. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I, I would totally be on board for that. These, these are these are all merchandising opportunities. Image in DC, mm-hmm. or we can make our own knockoffs. And... Legally, no, but yeah, we'll we'll, we'll make those. <laughs> you just we'll email us at like... indefensibleinc at gmail dot com. 
Uh, any other thoughts or feelings about Batman Spawn? I think um, no, I think I've exhausted them. You know, <laughs> that's not a not a deep book, but yeah, one that I actually enjoyed in some in some fashion. So we will move on to the segment uh, known as Cannon Fodder, in which we ask each other questions about obscure slash bizarre and ridiculous uh, comics trivia. I almost said Marvel trivia, but I almost outed myself as a Marvel <laughs> zombie. I can't remember who started last time, but... Why don't you, why don't you, why don't you take it away? Okay. So I have a Spawn question for you. Okay. In Spawn, the main character, Al Simmons, returns to life from hell, only to find that his wife, Wanda, is now married to his best friend. Wanda later gives birth to twins with sh- with a shocking secret. What is that secret? A. They are actually the children of Wanda and the evil clown known as the Violator who took on the form of Wanda's husband. B. They are the re- reincarnations of God and Satan given human form by a creator goddess known as Mother. C. They are the reincarnations of Spawn's great-grandparents who were murdered by devil worshippers. Or D. Over their childhood, they will slowly merge into unity, a being destined to kill Spawn. Hmm. Well, okay. <laughs> let, me, let me think. So, I'm thinking back to earlier when you were talking about how Judas... Stab like biblical Judas, mm-hmm. stab spawn through the heart. I kind of want to go with the most blasphemous possible. No, knowing that <laughs> that this sort of thing happens, I'm going to go look for like the most blasphemous possible answer, and I think that is the uh, the kids are God and Satan. That is correct. Oh yes, <laughs> that is very blasphemous. <laughs> I'm not a religious fellow, but that's that's pretty. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my first question uh, refers uh, pertains to the wedding of professional Marvel sidekick Rick Jones. Um, in Incredible Hulk number four hundred and eighteen, he gets married to his wife uh, Marlo Chandler. As with many superhero and superhero adjacent weddings, there were a number of surprise guests. Which of the following did not appear at the wedding? Was it A, Rom Space Knight, the star of the 80s licensed comic that Marvel no longer has the rights to? Is it B, Mephisto, Marvel's stand-in for the devil? Is it C, Marvel's living embodiment of death? Or is it D, writer Peter David himself officiating the wedding? Hmm... I am going to go with Peter David. Nope. He officiated the wedding. Oh. Um, the the answer was actually Marvel's Living Embodiment of Death, which was a trick question because it's actually the Sandman, the DC version of Death, makes an appearance. Sort huh. of not really acknowledging who she is, but you know, it's, she's got like the the chalk white skin and the um that like the onk necklace, mm-hmm. you know. And okay. she like provides a few, you know, helpful words of wisdom to 
to Marlowe. But ah, you know. I thought the Peter David one sounded too Peter David E. There was like no such was... thing as too too Peter David E. <laughs> it was too in character. I was like, no, that can't be. <laughs> Love you, Peter David. <laughs> okay, I may be playing with fire with this next one because I'm. I'm going into a territory where you may have more knowledge, where you probably have more knowledge than me. So, Crack see what <laughs> happens. In the, in the Silver Age, Batman's butler, Alfred Pennyworth, was killed off, only to be brought back by a scientist named Dr. Brandon Crawford. However, it didn't go smoothly. What went wrong with Alfred's resurrection? A. Because the first sight he laid eyes on after emerging from the machine was a bat, he became convinced that he was Batman and that the real Batman was an imposter. B. Some of the villain Clayface's clay was used in the formula to revive him, turning Alfred temporarily into a Clayface-like monster. C. He became convinced that his previous life with Batman and Robin was a series of dreams, which he then wrote down and attempted to pitch to a literary agent before Bruce Wayne intervened. <laughs> or D, he developed telekinetic powers and rock-patterned skin and began to menace Batman as the villain known as Outsider. I am sorry, but I am afraid that I did know that one. <laughs> it was oh. it was The Outsider. <laughs> okay. Although I do like the idea of him, of Alfred unwittingly like doing kind of a PG Woodhouse Jeeves and Worcester thing, <laughs> of, with 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 Bruce Wayne's adventures. Yep. Okay. On well, the su- well played. Thank you. On the subject of questionable Batman villains, um, so Mister Freeze is pretty well known, but more obscure is a similarly cold themed villain. Uh, the snowman. What is this character's unusual backstory? Um, is he a, a spree criminal who uh, inherited his ice powers from when his mother was rescued from a Himalayan avalanche and subsequently impregnated by a Yeti or abominable snowman. <laughs> B, a burglar who attempted to rob an occult bookstore and was cursed by its owner for his soul to inhabit an actual snowman just before a spring thaw. C, a cocaine kingpin whose gimmick was wearing a Frosty the Snowman-style top hat and scarf with a broom whose bristles are made of razor wire. Or D, a high-class female jewel thief who committed crimes in a suit padded to give her a masculine appearance with the clue to her identity being, as Robin puts it, that snowman, it's a lady. Oh, man. All of these would be very amazing characters. Mm -hmm. DC just putting it out there. But only one of them is the canonical and very questionable solution. Um, I am going to go with... Uh, read the first part of B for me again. Uh, the burglar who attempted to rob the occult bookstore and was cursed to be a snowman. I'm going to go with that one. It's the guy whose mom had sex with a yeti. <laughs> okay. I, so I, this is this is from the, uh, um, the an 80s run that I really enjoy <laughs> for the most part. 
<laughs> but when I got when I read this issue, and it is like you know the his mother was you know in a, on a mountain expedition. There's a mm-hmm. cave in. She's rescued by a mysterious stranger who she cannot see, but who she is grateful towards and attracted to. Mm-hmm. And then later on discovers it was it was the abominable snowman. <laughs> so that was it, it. It's 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 written. I'm actually shocked by. <laughs> By something from an old comic, but yeah. Well, when you said the 1980s, I was originally I was thinking like this had to be like the 1950s or <laughs> 60s or something. But yeah, okay, within my lifetime. <laughs> well, uh, shall we do our recommendations? Let's do it. Okay, um, we both I think decided to pick um, intercompany Batman crossovers. Um, I went with Batman and Captain America from 1996, obviously published by DC and Marvel. Um, written, drawn, inked, uh, lettered even, everything but the colors by comics legend John Byrne. So technically this is an Elseworlds because, I mean, you know, Captain America's in it, but also um, it's set in World War II with no explanation necessary. It's just, you know, Batman in 1940-whatever. Um, and Batman and Captain America are understood to exist in the same universe, and there's no kind of rationale. It's just this is the world that they live in. Um, mm-hmm. Steve Rogers is assigned to guard Bruce Wayne, who was a big mucky muck with the war effort. Um, and hijinks ensue. There is, you know, they sort of, at one point, they get into a fight and they realize, sort of recognize each other's fighting styles. Um, mm-hmm. Bucky and Robin have sort of a rivalry about, like, who the, you know, who has the coolest it's not master i guess but who has the you know who is the coolest like mentor i guess mm-hmm. um probably the most famous scene is the one and i'll i'll spoil the the most fun of uh batman captain america so skip the next 20 seconds if you don't want to hear it but uh the joker is part of the scheme and he finds out that the partner that he's been working with is secretly the red skull and the joker is absolutely outraged morally because even though he's the Joker, he's not a Nazi. He's a, he's like, I'm an, you know, I might be a psychopath, but I'm an American psychopath. <laughs> um, and then they use their, like, you know, Joker squirts him with his, you know, Joker venom and Red Skull uses his dust of death on the, on the Joker. And because the formulas are apparently so similar, their natural immunities to their own stuff make them sort of, makes it sort of like cancel each other out. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not, um, you know, it's not very deep. Or anything, but it's it's you know it's it's like I said it's hijinks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of fun, and if you um, are looking for a ripping yarn with um, Burns art in like the nineties, I'm not always keen on, and I think part of it's the coloring and part of it's the paper stock. This is an argument I've probably tediously made before, but um, it's a whole lot of fun. Highest recommendation: seven out of ten. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I uh, originally I was leaning towards recommending. Batman and Spider-Man. Um, yeah, it's it's questionably it's questionable in terms of quality. So I'm actually going to recommend the 1991 series Batman versus Predator, which seems like a kind of crazy idea. Uh, it was published by DC and Dark Horse Comics, and it's written by Dave Gibbon, Gibbons of Watchmen fame, with art by Andy Kubert. Um, one thing to note is I hadn't read this in over 
15 years or so. So my memory may be a little bit hazy. Uh, but as I recall, it's a... I think it's maybe three or four issues. It's a nice tight little story where the Predator shows up in Gotham, starts hunting down people, and Batman has to figure out figure out what it is and how to deal with it. And I uh, puts Batman to the test both as uh, kind of a detective but also as a fighter. And it's just I think pretty pretty well done for a for a crossover. Um they they did a few follow-up series. They had a part two and a part three. I only read the second one. It was decent. Um, but if you're just looking for kind of a gritty action story with Batman in it and uh, and maybe the best Predator-related uh, media <laughs> since, like, the 1980s, um, check out... Batman versus Predator, and you will probably not be disappointed. All right. Well, I think that will uh, do us for tonight. As always, we welcome f- uh, any and all feedback from all punks, sick jerks, stupid fighters, sloppy fighters, undisciplined twits, and the like. Uh, you can contact us at indefensibleinc at gmail.com. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram and Twitter at, at indefensibleinc. Um, your various podcasting apps you can listen to us um, like, recommend um, even if it's like an in-person recommend if you know somebody who likes terrible comics, and I'm sure we all do um, give us a little recommend other than that not much to say, but um, for Indefensible Inc., I have been Justin Zyduck and I've been Ryan McClure and have yourself a good night bye